When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. Here we the podcast. We are good here towards Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, February 17th, 2021, people. And before I get into today's show, let me very simply say this. I know there's a lot of crazy weather going on in the world out there, and I hope you guys are doing okay. I know a lot of you are under a lot of snow, there's ice, there's rain, there's sleet, you can't leave your house, some of you may be without power or you did not have power earlier this week, and so first and foremost, I hope everybody's doing okay, I hope you guys are surviving, if you're listening later in the week, I hope earlier in the week you handled yourselves as well as you could, and I also hope that for the next 45 or so minutes that I can entertain you. We are going to talk about a lot of different topics, starting with the Jalen Johnson Duke news. Yes, it is the biggest story in college sports. I'm sorry. I love the kid. Not going to be too critical, but he quit. We'll talk about it. Doesn't make him a bad person, but we'll get into that. From there, we will go into Tuesday night's college hoop slate. Then, a fun guest. You may remember him. Nick Coffey, 790 KRD. He is a radio host in Louisville. Nick used to join me on literally every single episode of this show And as the show has evolved, as his schedule has evolved, as he's had a second child, Nick is no longer as available as he once was. And so Nick will join me periodically once, twice a month. And he and I talk about a lot of different topics. Jalen Johnson, we talk about the NCAA tournament coming up, what it's going to look like. Is it going to be weird? Fun kind of college hoops, college football conversation with Nick. And speaking of college football, on the back end, we will talk a little college football as Gus Malzahn, the Gus bus at Central Florida. But that is later, this is now, and let's get into the biggest topic of the last few days in college sports, really college basketball. It is obviously at Duke, it's with Jalen Johnson, he is by all accounts basically Duke's best long-term NBA prospect, and on Monday night, he decided to leave school. And for a little bit of background, and we'll get kind of into the bigger, deeper details of all of it momentarily. But for people who don't know, he's kind of had a weird year, had an injury, came back from the injury. There's been reports that he's kind of butted heads with Coach K. And clearly, it's not the season that he thought he was going to have, that Duke thought they were going to have, or frankly, that college basketball, which is set to play the NCAA tournament in an empty building in Indianapolis, thought it was going to have. But on Monday night, he decides that he is going to leave Duke, basically citing that he did have that earlier foot injury. He doesn't feel 100% and he doesn't want to risk it. And you guys kind of know where I stand on all of this stuff is that if a player thinks that he has to do something that he believes is best for his future, I have no problem with it. I don't care when players sit out of bowl games. I wasn't worked up when Kyle Pitts from Florida or whoever sat out of bowl games. I don't care if a kid decides to go pro in the NBA before I think they're ready. They have to do what they think is best. They have to protect their future. They have to make money. And as I say all the time, everyone's circumstances are a little bit different. And I frankly have no problem with Jalen Johnson deciding to, as he put it, opt out of the season on Monday night. Where my issue lies and where I think a lot of people's issue lies is with something very simple. Can we stop using the term opt out when that's not what happened at all, okay? Remember, opting out started as a trend and a phrase back in July, August, and September 
when we didn't know if we were going to have college football, we didn't know if we were going to have NFL football, we didn't know if it was safe to play contact sports, and players in the NFL and college football in the fall sports decided to literally opt out of the season. No different than the NBA bubble, no different than Major League Baseball, but when you opt out, you know what you also do? You have the intent to opt back in, and that is not what Jalen Johnson did. What Jalen Johnson did on Monday was not opt out of the season. The kid flat out quit. And that is the one thing, my only complaint about this entire story, is let's stop calling opting out, opting out, and calling it what it is, and that's quitting. For the record, it doesn't make Jalen Johnson a bad person, doesn't mean he can't have success at the NBA level, doesn't mean that he isn't an incredible human being. I don't personally know him, I've interviewed him a few times, seems like a nice enough kid, I have no personal vendetta against him. But let's stop calling opting out, opting out, and call it what it is. The kid quit. He quit on his team. He quit on himself. He quit on the season. I don't know if he quit on himself, but he quit on the season. That's okay, but let's call it what it is, and it's quitting. A little bit of background on the kid, and it really is kind of essentially what I just said. It's been a tough year for him, and I feel for him like I feel for everyone in college basketball. When you come to play college basketball, it's supposed to be fun, and when you come to Duke as a five-star NBA can't-miss prospect, it's supposed to be really fun, right? This kid came to Duke as the top-rated recruit in a number one, number two, number three-rated recruiting class, and it just hasn't gone as planned. As I said, he had a foot injury that limited him earlier in the year. As I said, he's butted heads with Coach K. Maybe that's a him thing. Maybe that's a Coach K thing. And in some ways, I'll even defend Jalen Johnson because it seems like Coach K isn't fully invested in this season, having a couple games canceled, calling for the season to maybe be postponed. So it's not as though that that it's only Jalen Johnson's fault that this whole situation happened the way that it did. On top of that, as I said, when you come to Duke, you don't think it's going to be like it is where you're basically living in the dorms, going to the practice facility, going back to the dorms, and having nothing in between. You think you're going to play at Cameron. You think you're going to play in front of 18,000 people at the Dean Dome against a rowdy crowd at Louisville, a rowdy crowd at Virginia. That's not what happened, and I feel bad for this kid. Like, I feel bad for everybody. I've talked about it with Kentucky's players. I've talked about it with Michigan State. I've talked about it with Kansas, with North Carolina. This is not what anybody signed up for. And if that was solely what this was about, then I would have absolutely no problem with Jalen Johnson, the decision he made. And to a degree, I really don't have a problem with the decision that he made. It didn't go the way he expected. Maybe he does not feel as though he's 100% healthy, and maybe he feels like it's just time to move on to the next chapter of his life. Where I have an issue of calling it opting out, however, is this. When he decided to leave Duke basketball, he decided not only to leave Duke basketball, but he decided to leave Duke. And that is where the issue falls for me, is that when he decided to quote-unquote opt out, he left the team, he cleared out his locker room, he cleared out his dorm room, and he left campus and started getting ready for the NBA draft. And so where I come from, I'm not saying that I'm Mr. Old School, you got to play for the name on the front of the jersey, not the back, but the kid quit. He had a team, he could have stayed, he could have, for two more weeks, cheered on his teammates, been a good teammate, been omnipresent, been there for his guys, waved a towel, whatever, even if he didn't want to play, it didn't have to end the way that it did. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, you know, Torres, but he's injured. Why would he stay? I can explain that too. I talked to a lot of people in the NBA over the last couple days as this, uh, you know, news kind of broke. So I guess the last 24 hours or so. You know what the number one thing they told me was that I hadn't really thought about? It's the same thing I tell you all the time. If he really is injured, and it's definitely a possibility, staying at Duke is probably the smartest thing that he could have done. One, it eliminates any possibility of guys like me saying you quit. It eliminates people saying you left the team, you left the program, you left them high and dry. But on top of that, beyond that, it's actually the smart thing to do to stay at Duke from a medical perspective. You know why? Have you ever heard of Duke Medical Center? One of the best medical facilities in the entire country? One of the best medical facilities in the entire world? Duke has maybe the best medical training staff in all of college basketball? If you're actually hurt, the best place you could probably stay is at Duke, stay with the trainers, get healthy, work with them, get better, and get ready for the NBA draft in two or three months. But the kid decided to pack his room, decided to leave, decided to move on. And so when I look at this situation, it's not just that he decided to stop playing basketball, it is the circumstances under which he did it. And that is, by the way, under the best case scenario that he was absolutely hurt and could not continue playing basketball at Duke. 
And before we go forward, I need to do the caveat that I've already done seven times in this little rant and say, I don't know every detail of the backstory. Only Jalen Johnson knows exactly how healthy or unhealthy he is going into these final few weeks of the season. But what I can tell you is the facts of the case, if I was, uh, you know, uh, my cousin Vinny, the facts of the case do not line up with what Jalen Johnson's saying. And what do I mean by that? First of all, if you're really hurt, stay at Duke, get healthy there. But two, this kind of continues a trend of Jalen Johnson's. And it's something that's been talked about throughout the last couple days as this story has kind of evolved. But he kind of bounced around in high school a little bit. He basically went to three different high schools in his senior year, started at a school in Wisconsin where he's from, transferred to IMG Academy, a prep school, then transferred back to Wisconsin before the end of the season without playing a single game at IMG. I texted somebody that would know the details on some of those moves. And that person told me what a lot of NBA people are going to ask over the next few weeks. Is this kind of a trend? Because it appears as though you quit at your first high school to go to the next place. You went to the next place, didn't work out, you quit there. Then you move back to your old high school, you come back, you go to Duke, and you quit there. That is not my opinion. That is what people are actually asking of this situation. Beyond that, if he was really so hurt, he did play the last couple weeks. Now, maybe he's not at 100%. Maybe he doesn't feel like himself. Maybe he really is just butting heads with Coach K, and that's why he's not playing. Again, I'm not there every day. I'm not implying that it's 100% his fault. I'm not going to imply that it's 100% Coach K's fault. But if he really wasn't healthy, why was he even playing the last couple weeks? And how do you go from the extreme of, I was suited up, ready to play on Saturday, to I have to completely shut it down and leave campus and get the heck out of here 48 hours later. Nothing about that aligns. It doesn't make sense. And so when I look at the situation, I do think it's quitting. Because one, he packed his bags and bounced. Two, the timing of it all. This isn't September. If he had done this in September and said, I'm opting out, I don't feel comfortable being on a college campus, that's totally different than doing this and making this decision with two weeks left in a college basketball season in which you have struggled in a way that you could have never imagined. Not all your fault, not saying that it is. But to opt out with two weeks left in the season when you could have done it in September, you could have went, if your foot was that bad, you didn't have to come back and play in January. But to do it with two or three weeks left in the season when you could have just sat there like a good soldier on the sidelines and put on your little Duke polo and said everything's going to be okay and I'm going to wave the towel for the rest of my teammates, it makes it look bad. And it makes people question, not just me and the media, but it makes a lot of people question in NBA draft circles, in media circles, in places that are going to matter to Jalen Johnson's future. If Duke was 25-3 and three and he was averaging 22-8, and eight, would he have really made this decision? And so for everybody that says, oh, he's got to protect his future, I get it. I get that it's been a bad season, he hasn't played up to his expectations, and Duke is not going to the NCAA tournament. But what I am also saying, and what a lot of people are questioning is, would you have made that decision if the team was 25-3 and three and you were averaging 20 a game, and the answer is probably not. Now, in the end, I'm just going to be honest. For all of this, did he quit? Did he not quit? I don't know if it's going to matter in the bigger picture. I think he's got bigger problems than actually quitting, and that's that he wasn't very good when he was at Duke. And you look at this draft, it's a pretty good draft. I mean, we've talked about all these guys, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, the, the G League guys. And you're now talking about a guy that in major college basketball was up and down, it's not really that he averaged 11 points a game. That doesn't matter. But the fact that he, he was inconsistent shooting um, wasn't great creating. I mean, yes, he's a 6'9", 6'10", wing, and the NBA will never run out of opportunities for those guys. But it's not as though he produced at the highest level. And I think more than quote-unquote opting out or quitting or this or that or the other thing, I just don't think he was very good. And so at the end of the day, I've said my piece. I'm ready to move on to the next topic and the day that was in college basketball. But... My only beef with this whole decision is not that the decision was made, not even that he left his teammates or that he did this or that he did that, but let's just stop calling it opting out. The kid quit, the kid left, the kid bounced. There's nothing wrong with that. Life will go on. Duke basketball will win games again in the future, believe it or not. He will make a lot of money playing basketball and hopefully have a ton of success in the NBA, but let's just stop calling what he did opting out because that's not it at all.
All right, let's get to some of Tuesday's results. And, and Tuesday, kind of a weird night across college hoops. We won't spend a ton of time here talking about Tuesday night's games because, to be honest, it was kind of a quiet slate. The COVID protocols have taken away some of these games. Obviously, that weather pattern, the weather that I was talking about a minute ago, has wreaked havoc across the Southwest. Uh, Texas, Oklahoma was supposed to be on Tuesday night. TCU, Texas Tech. Arkansas, apparently it's colder in Fayetteville than it is in Moscow, according to Jimmy Dykes on the call. So again, I hope all of you are being safe and you guys are, are, are staying warm and, and you're, you're shoveling and you're doing what you need to do uh, to get through these crazy weather patterns. But let's get into some of the games. I think probably the most notable result, weirdly, was in Athens, Georgia, of all places. How about Georgia? Tom Crean, my guy. I always say nice things about that guy. Okay, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but Missouri going to Georgia and losing by a final score of 80 to 70. Put simply, this is one of the single weirdest results in what is kind of one of the single weirdest stretches of the entire college basketball season. Remember, it was just 10 days ago that Missouri beat Alabama in Columbia to go to 13 and 3 at the time they were 6 and 3 overall in the SEC and two games out of first place in the SEC since then they have lost three straight including two games which I would say are just flat out inexcusable losing to Ole Miss and then losing on Tuesday night to Georgia they of course lost to Arkansas over the weekend and this team is absolutely reeling there is no big, huge, like amazing big picture takeaway, but for a team that was in that top 16 bracket reveal just a few days ago, it's kind of staggering to see how far and how fast this team has fallen. Put simply, I think the biggest thing is they got to get better on defense. I mean, you're talking about a team that was one of the better defensive teams in college basketball uh, throughout most of the season, allowed Georgia to shoot seven for 15 from three, 49% from the field. And Missouri's just got to get things figured out because they are a team that I thought was a solid, probably four, five, six seed, a team that could make the second weekend. But when you lose three straight, when you lose to Ole Miss, when you lose to Georgia like they did on Tuesday, you got to get things right in a hurry. Also in the SEC, big game, important game, Arkansas at home uh, in the frozen tundra that was Fayetteville apparently beats Florida by 14 points. Listen, a couple things here. Uh, you know, I've been critical of Mike White through the years. Florida losing at, at, at Arkansas is not a bad loss, or excuse me, it was by 11 points, but Arkansas uh, is playing really well right now. And so this isn't like an anti-Mike White thing. They were coming off COVID. They have had a really tough year. I think he has handled that program about as well as anybody could, given the Keontae Johnson situation, given all the different starts and stops in COVID. But really, uh, Tuesday night I thought was about two things. One about George, uh, Florida just getting back and getting their legs under them, but also Arkansas is really actually playing very well. Now I know we have a lot of Kentucky fans that'll listen to this show and say, oh, we should have beat them at Rupp Arena. Maybe you should have. We talked about that call late in the game last week, but it doesn't change the fact that after Arkansas won at Kentucky, they went to Missouri and got a win. They beat Florida. They have now won seven straight SEC games for what I believe is the first time in six years since, since the 2014-2015 season. And so I look at this team, and what I see is two different things. I think, one, they're a group that started the year. They struggled in SEC play. They went 2-4 and four to start the season in conference play. And at the time, everyone was saying, oh, they stink, and Eric Musselman's overrated and all that stuff. And I talked about it a little bit on the last show. But what it really was a reflection of was they played a really brutal schedule to start SEC play, and I don't think people realized just how brutal it was at the time. They lose at home to Missouri before we knew just how good Missouri was prior to this week. They lose at Alabama. They get crushed. Well, guess what? Alabama, they caught them at about the worst possible time. They lose at LSU. LSU is a very good team at home. They lose at Tennessee when Tennessee was playing about as well as they have all season. And all of a sudden, once Arkansas got past that stretch of the schedule, once they got back Justin Smith, their leading rebounder, probably their most important player, they have been a really good team. As I said, seven straight SEC wins, seven of eight overall. The one loss was at Oklahoma State in a game where, I, where they were in complete control, uh, couldn't close it late. And I think this is just a group that is a, a collection of players that, that that's either are freshmen or transfers or whatever. 
started in different places. They're not used to winning at this level, and I think it took them a while. I think they needed to win that close game at Missouri on Saturday to really build some confidence, and it transitioned into Tuesday night where they beat Florida. Again, seven straight SEC wins, and you talk about a team that could get on a little bit of a roll here. They have... Uh, a couple big games coming up against LSU and Alabama, but they're both at home. In addition to that, you have Texas A&M this weekend and South Carolina close the season. This might be the second best team in the SEC. Now, I don't know if they're the second best team talent-wise, but they very well could end up second place in the SEC depending on how other things break. As I record here late Tuesday night, they are tied for second place. They're technically a half a game ahead of LSU for second place. But how about Arkansas? Starts 2-4 and four in SEC play. They are now 9-4 and four overall. And I just think they're a really fun team to watch and a fun story to follow. I would add this too. Everybody told me when Eric Musselman got to Arkansas, oh, he can't recruit freshmen, he's only going to take transfers. Well, I'll tell you this. If you watch this team closely, you could argue three of their most important players are freshmen this year. Moses Moody, we all know about, is going to be a one-and-done probably a lottery pick out of Arkansas but Devo Davis that's my guy first of all if you follow my Twitter feed at Aaron underscore Torres you know that Devo Davis is my guy I say it all the time he makes dumb freshman mistakes here and there but this kid is just a gamer he just has a nose for the ball he's a difference maker by the way I think I might be going crazy but I'm pretty sure he wears a headband in the first half and then he takes it off for the second half I can't keep up but 18 points for him as a freshman he's been awesome Jalen Williams the big guy he's been awesome and Arkansas as I said a few times now is just a team trending in the right direction transitioning some other results in college hoops on Tuesday night my UConn Huskies very nice win very important win they were at home against Providence a team that they lost to less than a week ago and they go from 11 point loss to a convincing win in Gamble Pavilion in stores Connecticut uh, against the same Providence Friars, they win by 12. What is the difference? Well, it's a few things. First of all, their star player, James Booknight's back. Now, if you watch the game closely, James Booknight is not the reason that they won this game. As a matter of fact, I think it really goes back to Saturday, which I talked about a few episodes ago, or I talked about on Monday's show, I guess. This team, I think it took them a while to adjust to life without James Booknight, and it took until Saturday for other guys to get confidence. Other guys stepped up. Other guys play well. They win at Xavier, which is a very comfortable NCAA tournament team, at least as of right now. And I thought that confidence transitioned into Tuesday night where they beat Providence. Beyond that, you have all these guys that have stepped up, that have taken on bigger roles. Now you have your best player back. And for people who have not seen James Booknight, just a stud. First of all, you can find he had one of the best dunks of the entire season in his first game back and 18 points off the bench in his first game back for UConn. And I think what it speaks to, in my opinion, is that this is just a team that is going to be a real, real, real threat over the next month or so. Now, right now, as we speak on Tuesday, February 16th into February 17th, this is a team that is frankly on the bubble, but it's more reflective of the fact that they haven't been at full strength. Now that they're at full strength, other guys have confidence, and I'm just telling you, this is a team to watch out for as UConn beats Providence 73-61. James Booknight is back, and you want to talk about a mega, mega, mega game. They play at Villanova on Saturday. If you think they can't win, just remember, they almost won last year at Villanova uh, in, uh, in a game that, that I think a lot of people forget, but that was the game that Dan Hurley famously said, you better get us now because we're coming for you. Also in the Big East, uh, a couple more results that I do want to talk about. How about the St. John's Johnnies? They're the Red Storm, but I call them the Johnnies, whatever, sue me. All I'll say really quick, St. John's like a sneaky, fun team. They have won seven of their last eight. The only loss was to Butler last week. And let me just say this. They play about as fun of a style as you could ask for as a college basketball fan. Every, every college basketball fan, oh, everybody's so boring. They all play the same. It's this, it's that, it's the other thing. Well, St. John's put up 93 points uh, tonight on Tuesday night against Xavier in their most recent win. They put up 92 against Providence. This team scores points. They're really fun. 
They play fast. They're a little bit of a mess. They're, they're the type of team that could get in as a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament and just wreak absolute havoc as far as running, jumping, playing fast. Uh, I, what I love about them, they have a couple guys that frankly look like they're a little bit out of shape. They look like they should be playing at the Y with me, but they're D1 players. But St. John's gets the win. They've won seven of eight. And I really think they're just a fun team that could be dangerous come tournament time. Final result from Tuesday night. I was going to say Thursday, but it's only Tuesday. That is Illinois getting a win against Northwestern. Io DeSumo, quote-unquote, only 13 points, but if you watch the game, he had five in the final, probably two minutes to seal the win. There is a conversation to be had, which I have discussed uh, briefly on this show, and that is that um, you know everyone has just handed the National Player of the Year to Luca Garza from Iowa, and I am just telling you straight up that I believe that Io DeSumo is Illinois star point guard who's averaging 21 points, five rebounds, six assists a game, 40 plus shoot, 40 plus percent shooting from three. I think he he should be right now the favorite for the national player of the year going into the home stretch. All right, I think that's it. I think that's it. I think that I think I I did a pretty good job wrapping up everything in college hoops from Monday and Tuesday, right? I think I did pretty good. I think I did good. Eh, now it's time to move on. Here's the rest of the show. Here's the rundown. So I'm going to bring in Nick Coffee in a minute. Nick is the man. For people who are new to the show, Nick and I used to do, Nick used to join me literally every single episode, and he would talk the topics of the day with me no different than what I do now, but as his career has evolved, he's a little bit busier. He cannot join me. For people who don't know Nick, he is a radio host in Louisville, Monday through Friday, 790 KRD. He hosts the morning drive, 7 to 10 Eastern. He is an incredible host. He's a smart guy. He's a funny guy. And so he's going to join me now to just talk about college hoops. I'll be honest, I recorded the interview on Tuesday afternoon. And, I, you know, I don't want to go so far as to say that it gets dark or anything, but we have kind of a serious conversation about where is college hoops at? Is there excitement? What is this tournament going to look like? What's the deal with Jalen Johnson? And it does get a little like, I don't know, it's just, you know, we get a little frustrated with some things, but Nick is the man, and so he is going to join me. So Nick Coffee coming up. Uh, after Nick Coffee, I will talk a little bit of Gus Malzahn, and we will get out of here. I should mention, by the way, since I didn't mention it off the top, uh, really quick before we get to Nick. Make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the podcast, Addict App, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. Also, rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. If you have any questions, Aaron Torres Podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. And I should mention also, by the way, great episode on Thursday as Brian Bosworth, the Boz, the Boz will join me. It's a really fun interview. One of the funnest interviews that I've done for this show. So Brian Bosworth, the Boz will join Thursday's episode. But now uh, he's not the Boz, but he is a great friend of mine. Nick Coffey, radio host, 790 KRD in Louisville. I think you guys will enjoy this. Nick Coffey joining me right now all right joining me on the phone well zoom technically but long awaited return from my man nick coffee 790 krd in louisville Longtime listeners know nick joined me very regularly when we started this podcast and whenever i can uh get him away for a few minutes i love having him so nick my man what's going on how are you I am doing well, even better now that I am back once again on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, you join me pretty frequently on my show, uh, so I'm glad to be in your domain now, man. Uh, appreciate you having me. Well, I'll tell you this. Even though it's been a while since you've been on regularly, literally years now, every time you come on, I still get a few DMs, texts, tweets. Coffee's back. He's back. It was good to hear from him. <laughs> And I think part of that is people just get sick of me ranting and raving. But, you know, there is, to use a really bad pun, there's a thirst for some coffee, my man. And so I appreciate you doing this. Uh, first of all, how is life? I mean, uh, you know, we're recording here on Tuesday afternoon. This, this episode will drop Wednesday. I know like 80% of the country is under either ice or sleet or rain or snow or whatever. 
where are you at? Like, uh, how much shoveling have you done? Are you good? What, what, what's going on in Louisville over there? So all things considered, I'm good. We, in, we were about to get what was going to be maybe the biggest snowstorm in Louisville in a long time, maybe like the second, third biggest in my lifetime. We were getting eight to 10 inches. That was what was projected. That didn't happen. Um, and I predicted that. I, I knew it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it never meets, um, it never meets what they predict when they try to scare us with weather. But the issue is we had a little ice issue last week. It never got warm enough. So now we had a few inches of snow in the Louisville area. So it's not, it's not crazy. There's certain areas of, of the city that are much worse uh, than others. But uh, yeah, so far, I mean, I lo- I'm, some, I'm a weirdo. I love snow. A lot of people here hate it. Uh, I don't like when, you know, it's tough to get around, but I don't mind a good, a good winter uh, wonderland. And we have that here. As I look at my window, we've got at least a few inches on the ground, but you mentioned snow shoveling. I haven't snow shoveled anything. My wife, she's working from home because oh, of no. the, the weather. And she, trust me, she didn't get out there and shovel anything. But I was downstairs getting some stuff from the basement and I came up and she had just closed the door and told, she told me that, that some kids just came by and she paid them to shovel. They were going door to door hustling. I have no, sure. no problem with that. I, I, I respect the hustle. What do you think my wife paid these kids to shovel our driveway? Two kids. I'm assuming they split it, but two kids, probably like 12, 13 years old, and it took them 20 minutes max to do it. What do you think she gave them? Well, I think you wouldn't be asking me if she didn't overpay. And when you say 20 she minutes. She overpaid, man. Yeah. Uh, $100. 50 for bucks. Wow. 50 bucks. So the reason I think this is, I mean, if I was a kid, now I guess because they split it, it's technically 25 bucks a piece. But like when I was a kid, if I was like 11, 12, 13 years old, that's a lot of money to me. Like I could stretch that out. That's a, that's a big deal. And I asked my wife, I said, did they tell you what they were charging? And she said, no. And I said, were they doing it for free? She said, I assume not. So I said, you just gave them 50 bucks. And she said, yeah, she asked if they could split the 50 and they said, yeah, they'll make it work. So I don't know. These guys might've taken five bucks. Who knows? Well, listen, not a shrewd negotiator, Mrs. Coffee there, but uh, (laughs) exactly. No, I, um, First of all, you know, you and I are about the same age. It was funny, probably about three or four years ago, I was talking to a buddy and we were just talking about how we have now reached that age in life where, and I'm not trying to imply that I'm some rich, wealthy guy that can just throw around money. I know a lot of people are struggling right now, but there's just certain inconveniences that I'm willing to pay for at this point, right? Like, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I'm in my early 20s. If, it, if I can save 50 bucks on a flight, uh, you know, and I got to leave at 4 a.m. or I got to leave at 10 p.m. and land at 4 a.m., I'll do it. Now it's just like, give me that 6 a.m. flight. Give me that 7 a.m. flight that I don't have to get up super early. I don't have to get there super late, whatever. And I feel like this sounds a lot like that, where you're just like, I don't want to freaking shovel. Just hand them a wad of cash. I don't care. I'm out. Do, it, do what you got to do, Mrs. Coffin. Yeah, I, I know the exact feeling you're talking about where you're spending a little bit of money and then you justify yourself. For, for me, it's not just about like, hey, you know what, um, I'll splurge here. It's like, so for, for example, in the house, like my wife, she is adamant that when we have dinner, we use paper plates. And I hate that. I want a real plate. I want something that's, that's not flimsy. And she claims that we have to do less dishes. And I always tell her, look, honey, we work hard enough. We can use real dishes. I think we've, I think we've earned that in our life up to this point. That if we have to do some extra dishes and use a real plate for dinner, then, then, then we've earned it. But no, I'm terrible with money. I, you, people would laugh at me if they knew, like, when it, my wife and I have all of our money together, thank God. I have a plastic debit card that I just, and I don't spend a lot of money, but I just swipe it and it's always worked. And that's, that's the way I keep things. But yeah, I, um, if I'm going to spend a certain amount, if it, there's an added, you know, I, I don't even know what percentage that you throw on top, but something that makes it a little bit extra. I'm always yeah. inclined to pay a little extra because I feel like it's always more often than not, it's worth it. No, hundred percent. And yeah, I've just found myself more and more hotel rooms, flights, whatever I'm doing. It's like, I'll just spend the extra 50 bucks if I know it's safe, if it's clean, if it's convenient, if it's whatever. All right. Sports. And you've earned it. Yes. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. I think I have too. Uh, you know, sometimes I, I still think of myself as that dude in his mid-20s that's got a scrape and claw for every last dime. But and to all our listeners in their early 20s, there will come a day where you don't have to stay eight bros to a, a room when you're on your, uh, your, your guy's trip vacation. So that, that day is coming not too long down the road. But sports, uh, where are we at, man? You know, you and I are both college hoops nuts. And 
It's tough. I, I, people come here for fun, for excitement. They don't want the negativity. There's too much negativity everywhere else. But it just feels like this college hoop season has been a fog, man, where it's just I, I really think and I've said this many times, I think college hoops has been hurt more than any other sport by this pandemic from the perspective that it's hard enough to know when everybody is supposed to play timing dates, this, that. And then you have a team like Michigan that is playing awesome. And then just goes on break for four weeks. Baylor has been gone for two weeks. Games are getting canceled, rescheduled. And it's one thing in college football. Hey, my team's not playing. I can still turn on the TV Saturday and somebody's playing Sunday. The same with the NFL, but college hoops, it's just, I still feel we got a month left in this season. I just still feel like there's no rhythm to it. I'm behind schedule where I don't want to be negative, but where are you at with all this, man? I'm, I'm with you. And in fact, we had this same conversation. I guess it was probably towards early January, maybe late December. We, you had me on and this was a similar conversation and I'm in the same boat. I mean, I, I can tell myself that Louisville, because Louisville, of course, the team I cover, they are expected to come off their second pause. They will have had one 18-day break with no games, one 16-day break with no games. I could tell myself that that's the biggest factor as to why it just doesn't feel normal, because normally you don't even go more than a week without a game. Now Louisville's had collectively, you know, over a month of, of, of what is normally your season. You've gone a month, not at the same time, but again, a long chunk here in December and then now in January or to February, I could tell myself that that's why it just doesn't feel normal, but that's not it. It's everything. It's, it's the, it's the lack of environment in arenas. I think, and I've learned this about myself, Aaron, I, you, you could have told me the top 16 teams would be what they are today. You could have told me a year ago when I would have said, you know, who cares? I mean, obviously I have rooting interest in one program, but like I've never thought of myself as somebody that needs blue bloods or big programs to matter. And I've learned this year that I do because I just can't get into it. I'm sure the, the pandemic is as, is a big a factor as anything. But when I'm watching the reveal on Saturday to see the top 16 seeds, I just felt very blah. It's a very vanilla field. And look, we're going to watch. I'm betting on college basketball more than I ever have, and that's been a lot of fun. But like, if we get a Final Four that features some of the top 10 teams right now that the the selection committee views as the best of the best, we're going to watch. But I think it's a bad thing for college athletics. You work on Fox Sports Radio, right? College basketball doesn't come up very often, but you are plugged into what national sports topics should be. Am I wrong? If we get, you know, a, a, a Houston Ohio State, Gonzaga, Michigan Final Four. I don't think that's great for the sport big picture. I agree 100%. And I'm the bracket reveal was the next thing I was going to ask you. And I talked about this on Monday's show, but I, I'm with you 100%. And, and it just struck me, and I'm with you, is that I didn't think I was the guy that needed Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, Michigan State, Syracuse, Arizona, whoever, Kansas. And then I saw that bracket reveal. And one, it was just bleh. But two, I do think that it hurts interest in general because I was thinking about this. Ohio State may be a number one seed. How many casual fans, this is no knock on Ohio State, how many casual fans know who Ohio State's coach is? Forget players, because college hoops is not a player-driven sport. It is for the top three or four players, but it's mostly a, I know Coach K and I don't like him. I know Calipari and I don't like him. I know Tom Izzo and I do like him. I know Roy Williams and he seems like he'd be fun to play for. And, you know, once you get deep enough in the tournament, it doesn't matter, right? Like America gets to know who Chris Beard is and they're like, oh, that guy's awesome. That He's got a great story. But I was thinking about the idea of the normal tournament. You have those Thursday, Friday opening games. And I know the schedule is a little bit off, but imagine we're, you can pretty much pencil in Duke and Kentucky are going to play in that 7 p.m. Eastern window on Thursday or Friday. Now, Ohio State, Baylor, Michigan, Missouri, like, like how many people even know who Ohio State's coach is? How many people know who Illinois' coach is? How many people know that, oh, I've, I've seen that guy at Baylor, but oh, he's Bryce Drew's brother? I had no, I just, I'll be curious to see what the reaction is when the actual bracket is revealed, when the games are being played. And as you said, the national interest beyond the people like you, me, people who are actually listening to this show, uh, to, to what the reaction is to the bracket and everything. Yeah, and, and honestly, the last time we had a national championship game, I think this same thing was said going in, and that was when Texas Tech and Virginia played. And surprisingly, that game did pretty well. Now, are we going to see the same thing this year? I don't know. I think you could – I mean, am I wrong? 
going back two years ago, that that honestly, I love the game. I love Texas Tech and Chris Beard. Obviously, Virginia, the good story there was that they were the first team in the previous year to lose as a number one seed to a 16 seed. So there were some storylines there. But I think on paper, that's a terrible matchup for the sport overall. But people watched. Maybe we'll see that this year. But you mentioned what the reaction will be. I just don't think there's going to be much of one. I mean, I really don't. I, I, I think the NCAA is doing what they have to do with yeah. the pandemic. But I think the way they've changed it where you can't travel again, that's out of their control. I'm not going to complain about that. But the way they've changed the days as far as when the games happen, that I think will, will, will hurt more than help. And who knows? No, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they realized they should have been doing this uh, years ago. And, and I'll pull up the schedule here to, to reference it. But for those who don't know what I'm talking about, so the normal schedule of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, first weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, second week, and that's that's now a little bit different. And I think it's more so because of the pandemic ne- needing more days to to get people situated and all that. But I just I think you and I are going to be looking around, Aaron, for reaction and buzz once we get a bracket. And there'll be some there, but I, I, I'm fearful. And I hope I am proven wrong. I love college basketball. Uh, it's my favorite sport. It's not even close. I live born and raised in what we consider college basketball country. But I really think we're looking at a, a, a ho-hum March Madness this year. I think you're right. And, yeah, you can pull up that bracket. But for people who don't know, I mean, the, the biggest thing is – when teams get to Indy, they have to test negative for, I think, seven straight days before they can play a game. So I, I always thought, and I understand there's no incentive for, say, ESPN or Fox to help out CBS in, in this department, but I would rather championship week end on Thursday, Friday, do selection Saturday instead of selection Sunday, selection whatever, um, you know, let teams that know that they're going to Indy get there ahead of schedule. I believe everybody is basically traveling Saturday. But yeah, the schedule is going to be different. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting. I will say ratings are down for everything. Ratings were down for the Super Bowl. They were down for the college football playoff. They were down for the NBA finals. And this isn't a rating show of, oh, uh, what does it mean? But I, I do think it's going to be weird that first Thursday we're all kind of looking around like, oh, there's no games on today. That's really weird. So that will be very weird. And I want your thoughts on what the hell does the selection committee do? What does the NCAA do when they get there? And multiple of the 64 teams that are there can't play like that's going to happen. I think nobody's nobody's mentioning that. I mean, look at all the postponed games we're getting right now. I mean, the thought of them showing up. And they're not being a, you know, an outage or whatever, or a stoppage, whatever it may be because of COVID, like that's just not going to happen. And they're not going to move the date around, meaning they're not going to, like, they're not going to postpone the tournament a couple of days. These games are going to happen when they're slotted for TV. Like, do they have teams on standby that say, Hey, this eight seed showed up. They simply can't play. They don't have the bodies. We don't have enough time to let them quarantine. You're up like this. this, I think not only are we going to see lack of, in fact, let me, let me spin it for you. Maybe there is a lot of buzz and reaction because it's going to be such a mess and they're going to be in in a very tough situation trying to determine what they do when teams show up and can't play. The, the only person that I've heard suggest what you're suggesting, I think it's really smart. Fran Fraschilla said it where he said he's done the TBT basketball tournament and they were one of the first events that was played in the pandemic. And they right. literally had seven or eight teams that were not participating show up and be on standby. I don't know if that means that's what we'll do. It's a really interesting question that I, I, I don't think anybody really has the answer to. And, and my whole thing is I do think – the circumstances matter. For example, I think if Prairie View as a 16 seed comes down with a bad case of COVID a day before the tournament, that one seed will probably just advance. But if it's Gonzaga in the elite eight, is there a way to push it back a day or two? I don't know. And I, it, these are real questions that, that nobody has an answer to. And I, and I trust me, I, I don't want to sound misinformed or uninformed because I've heard uh, the guys that run the NCA, Dan Gavitt, all that stuff. Oh, one positive test won't uh, limit anybody. And I will say, I think with the travel restrictions, contact tracing will be pretty loose in terms of, um, you know, multiple buses to the arena. Everyone has their own hotel room, all that stuff. So I guess in theory, it would take a lot for an outbreak. But to your point, 68 teams, three, four weeks, something is going to happen at some point. Yeah, and it, it, I, 
I think if they wanted to, like if, if we have teams show up that have, I mean, that's another whole conversation. I'm sure you've already had it, but the whole conference tournaments, do they need to have them? Will teams say, look, I'm not risking it. I know I'm safely in. But if, in fact, you have teams show up, and again, there's no good scenario far, as far as how you, would, how you would handle this if teams show up and simply can't play. But the one thing that's on their side as far as the NCAA is that everybody's in Indy. So if you had to, because for, for example, if, if your opponent that's a 15 seed is a scratch, you may just advance the two or you may add another team in. At that point, you could very easily reseed your bracket. Now, again, some coaches may find out, hey, I've been prepping for this opponent for two days. Now you're going to reseed it and tell me I have somebody different. Those are, that's just one of the countless things that could arise that will make this thing very complicated. And I didn't even, I'm just thinking about when it starts, Aaron. I hadn't even considered what you said. There's going to be multiple weeks. And I know they're kind of in a bubble once they get there. But the thought of this thing going off without a bunch of issues, I think if you just look at how COVID has impacted sports in the last year, uh, and it's not going to be the NCAA's fault. I'm not blaming them. I give them credit for trying to pull through and making it quite clear we are going to have a tournament, but it's going to be messy. No, I agree. And and I do think, um, and I do give them credit. I've been saying this since September is they, they were putting in these contingency plans in September at a time when college football was a mess and college football had just kind of spent all off season and all summer saying, Hey, uh, yeah, we'll figure it out. Everything will be good by, by September. And then it wasn't. And then he had conferences starting, stopping, canceling, postponing, whatever. And the NCAA and the basketball tournament, I mean, even back in September was like, yeah, we're going to have a tournament. We don't have all the answers on how it'll look right now, but we will have a tournament if sports are being played anywhere in the world. A couple quick topics before I let you go, Nick. First of all, I, I led the show with this today. Jalen Johnson, your boy, Duke. Um, I, I, people have already heard my opinion on it. I think that this is a weird year, pandemic year. I get it. But when you come back from an injury, don't play well, your minutes are limited because you're not playing well, you leave the team, you clear out your locker. That isn't opting out, okay? We put in the term opting out, again, six, seven, eight months ago when we didn't know if sports were safe to be played and people were literally afraid of their health. Well, now they know it's healthy and it's safe. This guy is not playing. This guy quit because he's not playing well and because Duke's not playing well. Listen, uh, you know me. I'm not Mr. Crush 18, 19-year-old amateur kids, but sometimes we got to call a spade a spade and this kid quit. He quit. There's no way to, I mean, this is not opting out. It'd be opting out if he could not play. He can play. And I got to say, my instant reaction was, well, first of all, I guess my reaction wasn't instant because I did read right after it became official, I think it might have been through Jeff Goodman, that the Jalen Johnson camp, if you will, has kind of been an issue with Duke since the beginning. And maybe they've been trying to encourage him to do this and he didn't want to, and they've just kind of been involved. But after seeing that, it shows you that John Calipari, I think he has a similar situation on his end. I don't think we know exactly what is going on with Terrence Clark, but Terrence Clark is not playing, but he's there. He's with the team. He's wearing a jersey. He's cheering on his guys. And look, that's not saying that's the best way to handle it because I think Calipari slipped up and kind of insinuated a couple of weeks ago that maybe this kid could play. Either way, he's still there. It's it, it's, yes. it's it's a better situation than what's going on at Duke where this kid is just left. He quit. And you can, I mean, that's not, like, people want to choose how they word it. You can call it opting out. It's quitting. I mean, look look at the specifics of what is going on. He can play. He's deciding not to because he, and look, if you want to be ready for the NBA, that's fine. Um, but don't call it opting out, saying I'm quitting this year because I want to stay healthy because that's what you're doing. Be And look, Mike Krzyzewski's comments, I get it. If you want to continue to get players of this caliber, then you need to be very player-friendly when it comes to these situations as far as how they're handled. But I'll say this, nobody does that better than John Calipari because I think I this has happened before and he's he's kind of understood, okay, And I think he has been frustrated with Clark at times. I think he's been frustrated with Jared Vanderbilt at times before. I think he's been frustrated with other guys in some – maybe not a similar situation because again, the pandemic is new, but he is a master at handling this. And I think Duke kind of had one blow up in their face here. Oh, hundred percent. I'll give you a good example that I hadn't thought of until right now, but Khalil Whitney last year, the kid that transferred mid season or not transferred, he left the team that he wanted to leave about three weeks before that. And Calipari basically sat him down and said, this isn't going to be good for anybody. It's not going to be good for you. It's and. We'll try to work you back into the lineup and figure things out. Um, 
and it just didn't happen and the kid left. But I think you're right. It is it was really funny. I had a friend of mine who's in the media, not super attuned to college basketball. He he called me last night on Monday night and he said, uh, dude, is Coach K just losing it? Does he not have control of these kids anymore? And I, and I kind of explained to him, I said, look, you know, this kid's got kind of a different background. He was at three different high schools his senior year, basically was at a high school, transferred, transferred back. Uh, it, it's a little bit of a different deal. But I, but I told him, I said, I think this is the new world where this is just kind of how kids, and I use the Terrence Clark example, and I've talked about Terrence Clark on this show, so I'm just going to say it, is I've heard from a lot of people or a lot of people have asked me point blank, do you think he's really injured or do you think he's just milking it because he doesn't want to get back on the court and hurt his draft stock more? There's only one person that knows that and that's him. And I'm not here to pick on him. And maybe it's a terrible ankle injury and all that stuff. But I did tell my buddy, I was like, you know, there's a pretty similar situation at Kentucky right now where nobody knows what's wrong with this kid. He's not playing and uh, people are starting to question it. So like you said, I, uh, the Calipari precedent or the Calipari reference is an important one because there might be something similar happening at Kentucky. But if you want to say, quote unquote, credit to Terrence Clark, at least he stayed on the sidelines. At least, you know, I see him cheering on the sidelines. I mean, maybe that's a bad thing. He's cheering too much when he maybe could be playing, but he's there and he's riding it out. And I think in the long run, I'll say really quick, I think it will help him more in the long run because whatever ends up getting out, it won't be what Jalen Johnson did on Monday night. Yeah. It, it, he's protected. And that's, uh, that's something tough to do. And to be honest with you, I can't think of many coaches that would, that knowing their egos, knowing how much power they like to have. I mean, college basketball to me has some, has some coaches that are, I think fraudulently player friendly. And there are some that I think it, it's clearly genuine and, and it's gotta be, I mean, Calipari's taking a beating. At least he has yeah. for the Terrence Clark. It's kind of died down now, given the fact that uh, you know it's official. He's just not. They just now know for sure he's not playing. But whenever it was in limbo, Cal was taking a beating for how he was handling it, and he he took it. It, it in 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 return, he's 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 protecting his player. And you know, you, I just don't think you see that for many coaches, if any, to be honest with you. Very good. Last question. I'll let you go. It's I, I, you know, I feel like it's been sort of a negative, uh, you know, conversation, not that you're a negative guy or I'm a negative guy. I think we're both pretty positive, upbeat guys and a lot of, a lot of dark, dark conversations. So give me something. Just keeping it real, man. Yeah, well, that's true. And that's why people like this show. That's why people like your show, the red zone on 790 KRD got to tell it like it is. So give me something you're looking forward to over the next month, Uh, something that you're excited about over the next month as we kind of wrap up college hoop season here man uh can it be college hoops related yeah if there, I, that's i hope it's college hoops related it is so like i i just got confirmation uh last week that i got approval for travel uh nice. to greensboro for the acc tournament which is really where it all started i mean I, yes. i'll never forget the drive to greensboro where when i left that morning the Ivy League had canceled their conference tournament and we're crushing them thinking, what the hell's wrong with you? That was on a Wednesday morning. And then by Thursday afternoon, like at two o'clock, I was in the car headed home to Louisville and all conference tournaments canceled, NCAA tournament canceled, NBA on hiatus. And I kind of feel like I need to get back to Greensboro to, to flip the switch and get us back to normal because on that Greensburg trip, it was a long drive. I may be flying this time, but it was a long drive. And it just, it, when I think of the world being what it is now, I think of that drive because it just, every time I would check my phone throughout that eight hour drive or so, some, some big development, it changed where this sport was postponed or, uh, you know, high school sports were even getting canned. It was wild. So I'm looking forward to, to one, I guess, embracing that, hey, even though this is still here and it's still a thing, the pandemic sucks, we're at least doing it. We're not letting it control yeah. us completely. But then again, hopefully this will kind of be like the official where I can just I can end this curse that we've been under as a country where this virus has clearly been in control of us. America needs Nick Coffee in Greensboro. I love it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'll say this is that, um, you know, I was in Vegas for really all of the tournaments, Pac-12. I think Mountain West had already been played, but uh, whatever. I was there for the Pac-12 and I'm with you, man, is we all remember, I think, as sports fans, where we were at that time and uh, was out to dinner with a friend with no Rudy Gobert news broke. And I said, oh, this isn't good. 
I remember going home, reading a lot about the virus. That I'm in Vegas. I can do anything, leave dinner, go read about the virus for two hours in my hotel room. I uh, remember turning on Creighton St. John's, the last game that was played at least until halftime and said before that game started, enjoy this because we don't have very many of these left. And sure enough, man, and I, I bring all that full circle to say I'm trying to figure out if it's worth it for me to get out to Vegas. Some point I'll get to Nashville for the SEC tournament, but this obviously isn't the year, but I'm trying to figure out as we speak. Will someplace in Vegas host the Torres podcast? The place I used to do it is no longer in existence, unfortunately. So by the way, if we have people in Vegas listening, let me know where I can where I can shack up and do a show from. But uh, but I'm with you, man. I, I'm, I'm kind of in the process of trying to figure out what I can and cannot do. But I'm with you. It, it, I think the big point is, and I always tell myself this, and I hope this is a lesson for everybody listening. No matter how much things are weird or stink right now, um, it's still better than it was last March and April, right? I mean, when we get Absolutely. up, when you're, you know, covering a game until midnight, 1 a.m., and then you got to turn around at 5 a.m. and do a morning show, it's still better than, than April when we were talking Joe Exotic and Tiger King. You know, I mean, for the people listening, you know, even if your team stinks, it's better than the alternative of having no games in March and April. People say it isn't, but it really is. Uh, I guess that's as po- I feel like, dude, this was so negative. I, I don't know, man, but I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm happy that we're playing a tournament. It's going to be different. Who cares? What is even different at this point? Games without fans feel normal to me. Sometimes I, I see old games on TV with full crowds. That looks weird to me. So maybe what is what is normal and not normal at this point? But to your point, uh, just be happy. We, we got games. We're happy. I was going to drop the Rothstein stay positive, test negative. That's what I feel like. <laughs> You know, I just, I don't want to be negative, but I, I, I'm, I am just happy that we're at this point. We're going to get a tournament. We've had a season. There's games on every night. It's something to be grateful for. Yeah, it is. And look, I'm already hitting that stretch where we get to mid-February, late February, where and even though it's different this year, one thing that is the same is I realize the season is coming to an end soon. So yes. I'm soaking it all in. I'm up watching, you know, a Pac-12 start at 11 p.m. just because I know I need to I need to take it all in because when college basketball season comes to an end officially, I get very sad. And this season was a little underwhelming, not like what we normally get. But hey, it's better than not having it. And we did not get a postseason last year. It yes. was ripped from us, making that whole season kind of a blur. Um, but now we're going to get it. And again, who knows what the hell's going to happen? It's going to be a mess, but I'd rather have the mess than have nothing at all. Fantastic. I'd rather have the mess than have nothing at all. I like that. Nick Coffee, 790 KRD in Louisville. You can listen to him 7 to 10 Eastern. Follow him on Twitter at the Card Connect. He is headed to Greensboro in That's three right. weeks to break to save this country. Save the country. <laughs> Nick, man, I appreciate your time, brother. We'll talk soon, okay? See you, man. All right, so big thank you to Nick Coffey. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed that segment as much as I do, or as much as I did, I should say. Nick is awesome, man. I, you know, for people who are kind of new to the show, Nick was a guy that used to join me literally every single episode when this show launched. And then as time has gone on, we've gotten busier, schedules have changed, it hasn't been as easy to get him onto the show. But I appreciate Nick making some time. I love talking with him, and I suspect as we get to the offseason and there's less to talk about, Nick and I are going to have a lot of fun, and he will be back here uh, pretty regularly going forward. So, yeah, big thank you to Nick. All right, one big college football topic since we last recorded, and that comes at Central Florida. As we all know, Josh Heupel had been the head coach there. He leaves for Tennessee, decides to follow his former AD, Danny White, who left for Knoxville a few days before that. Danny White leaves, Josh Heupel leaves, Central Florida needs both an athletic director and then a head coach. Well, we find out who the athletic director was a few days ago, guy from uh, Arkansas State, excuse me, comes to Central Florida, and on Monday, we get our new football coach. It is Gus Malzahn, former Auburn head coach, the Gus Bus is coming to Central Florida. And while I know Gus is kind of a Twitter punching bag, I can't lie. I really, really, really like this hire, and I really, really like the fit for both Central Florida, Gus Malzahn, and how they can come together. First of all, when it comes to Gus, like, like, let's clear the air on some stuff here. Because like I said a second ago, I know that he's kind of a Twitter punching bag. 
I get it. He's not great with the media. He did. He had some in-game stuff that was kind of weird, and it might not be a big deal in some places, but at Auburn, where you want to be competing for championships and where you're under the microscope every second of every day. By the way, great comment about the pressure cooker of coaching at Central Florida in the opening press conference where Gus Malzahn was kind of like, he was asked about the, the pressure of coaching at, at Central Florida, and everybody kind of rolled their eyes like, yo, and it, it doesn't get more pressure than at Auburn. But, you know, I, I get that he has become kind of a Twitter punching bag over the last few years, like I said. But when you actually look at his resume, it's really not that bad. And it's ironic because when the Tennessee job opened, when Jeremy Pruitt was fired, this was a guy whose name was linked to Tennessee. And so when that happened, I kind of looked into his resume. And when I looked into his resume, I kind of realized, you know what? This guy wasn't nearly as bad at Auburn as I think many people think that he would have been. Went 68-35 and 35 overall, was there for nine full seasons, but you really can't include this past one because it was such a bizarre year. You only play 10 games, SEC-only schedule. And in the, the eight years before that, Gus won at least eight games in seven of those eight seasons, won nine games in three of those seasons, won 10 games in two, of course, won 12 in his first season, played for a national championship, never won fewer than seven, which I'm not saying that at Auburn, the goal should be to win seven. But when you win nine games three times, when you win the SEC West twice, when you play for a national championship in year one over an eight-year period, nine if you include this year, that's actually pretty good, especially in the toughest division in the toughest conference in college football. It's worth noting, by the way, Nick Saban only has six total SEC losses over the last nine years. Three of them have come to Gus Malzahn. So this is a guy that when Central Florida looks itself in the mirror, they can say they hired a guy that in the toughest division, in the toughest conference of college football, this guy for the most part delivered. Now I understand he had some weird losses. I don't blame Auburn fans for being frustrated in moments, and I don't even blame Auburn fans for wanting to move off of Gus. That's your decision. That's your school. But for Central Florida, I actually think it's a, it's a great fit because think about it. Think about what Gus did at Auburn, which, again, I know there's Auburn fans listening, and I know some of you are going to be like, uh, they don't, they're not going to want to hear this, but Auburn is a very good job. But relative to the other jobs in the conference, let's be honest. It ain't even the best job in its own state. Alabama's the best job in that state. LSU, in their division, is a better job than Auburn. Georgia, 90 minutes from Auburn, is a better job than Auburn. Florida is a better job than Auburn. You could argue Texas A&M is a better job than Auburn. So, Gus, we're talking about the fourth, fifth best job in the conference, really didn't have an awful year over an, a nine, eight, nine-year stretch was never Nick Saban, was never Dabo Sweeney. I'm not claiming he was. And I understand at Auburn, you're held to a different standard. But he wasn't nearly as bad as people think in a not easy place to win. And now guess what? He is going to one of the best group of five jobs in college football and a place where he will have significantly more talent than virtually everyone he plays in the regular season. We're talking about a school that is in the, the, the hottest hotbed, if you will, of high school football talent maybe in America, Central and South Florida. I know that's not necessarily his quote-unquote recruiting base from when he was at Auburn, but he clearly knows the area. I would also add he's going to be able to hire a good assistant coaching staff. I saw his salary pool is $3.3 million, which is a lot for a group of five staff, in large part because Tennessee had to pay a buyout for Danny White and Josh Heupel. So Tennessee's basically going to be paying for his assistant coaches. They should recruit well. They should keep that talent, the, the, the talent level in the program at a high level. And think about this, too. That's not even including the fact that we now live in the transfer portal era. If you're a stud that it just doesn't quite work out at Alabama or LSU or Florida or Georgia, there's a lot worse places you can go to be showcased than Central Florida. And so to me... It's like a no-brainer. I think he is going to have so much talent at his disposal relative to his peers that I expect him to have immediate success. And not only immediate success, but sustained success. And so with that, I really like this hire. And let me add two more things that make me excited or would make me excited if I was a Central Florida fan. The first thing is, in terms of the hire, it's kind of the sweet spot of getting a guy that you want and getting a guy that'll stay. Because I think with any of these group of five jobs, same with mid-major jobs in college basketball, 
there's always this balancing act. If you go after kind of the retread older guy, he's probably not that good. That's why he is available to for your hire in the first place. That's why he is available to be hired in the first place because he's not that good. Uh, you go through the years. I mean, George O'Leary, who was coach at Central Florida not that long ago, kind of perfectly fits that description. I know he had some good years, but he kind of struggled. But when you go for the retread at the group of five level, most of the time, there's a reason the guy is out of a job. He ain't very good. Well, Gus is good. We just talked about that. On the flip side, if you go for if you don't go for the retread and you go for the younger coach, you're always worried that at some point that guy's going to leave. No different than how Josh Heupel just left. No different than how Scott Frost left Central Florida at one point. No different than how Brian Harson left Boise for Auburn this offseason. No different than how Mike Norvell left Memphis for Florida State last offseason. And how Luke Fickle will frankly probably leave Cincinnati at some point for a really good job in the Big Ten, Big 12, or somewhere that is going to be a better job than Cincy. And Cincy's a really good job, and I think Luke Fickle's being picky, but at some point he's going to leave. Well, you don't, I don't think you got to worry about that if you're Auburn or if you're Central Florida with Gus Malzahn. This guy has coached at the highest level. This guy has coached in the SEC. This guy has made SEC money. I think for him, it's no longer about climbing the ladder. First of all, how many jobs in the Power Five are even better or better set up to win big than Central Florida? I don't think it's that many. Let's just go to the SEC. Let's just say hypothetically, I'll pick a school. Mississippi State opens up. Mississippi State really a better job than, than, than Central Florida just because it's in the SEC? I don't know. It's pretty tough to win at Mississippi State. Pretty tough to win at Vanderbilt. Pretty tough to win at wherever else somebody might consider Gus Malzahn. It ain't going to be hard for him to win at Central Florida and win big. And he's at an age where he ain't climbing the ladder. He's 55 years old. He's going to be 56 next season. I think this is the last stop of his career, and I think he wants to end his career on a high note. This isn't a guy that's going to have three, four successful years and bounce for the next job. He's there to stay. On top of that, let me also say this. I think it's a perfect time for Gus Malzahn to get into Central Florida, and here's why. We all love this college football playoff, or uh, some of us do. Some people are like, get me to eight, and that's why I'm so intrigued if I'm Gus Malzahn about this job because I think we all understand at some point, this, uh, the, the, the playoff is going to expand from four teams to likely at least eight. Maybe we go to six, but I think realistically it's eight. And if it goes to eight, you would hope and pray that at least one of those spots would be for the group of five schools, which of course are the small schools, the AAC, um, you know, the, 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 the Mountain West, whatever. You would hope one of those spots goes to the group of five schools. And so because of that, who is going to be better positioned year in and year out to get that group of five spot than Central Florida? Cincinnati will be there if Luke Fickle's there. Memphis has had a few good years. Houston may get there under Dana Holgerson, but there ain't going to be many teams that are better positioned to make that college football playoff run if we go to eight, if there's a group of five spot eligible, than Central Florida. Gus Malzahn talked about it at his opening press conference. I think we can make, I expect to make college football playoffs here. So because of it, I like the hire, I like the fit, and for all the flack that Gus Malzahn gets, I think he's a good football coach, and I think this is about as good as you could have hoped for if you were a Central Florida fan. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply